Welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is medical doctor Andrew Jivzietz, who has been speaking out about medical malpractice, like systemic, serious level medical malpractice for the last few years, and suffering the social and professional consequences. He spoke out about the medical response, or at least the systemic medical response by the United States and worldwide powerful organizations to to the COVID pandemic, and he's also been speaking out about gender-affirming healthcare. He's a wonderful man, a man of faith, a man of truth, and a man who is following through on his ethical convictions, and I'm really proud to have him on the show, and I learned a lot from him. And so without further ado, here is Andrew Jivjets. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you doing, Andrew? Doctor? Uh, not too bad. No yeah. complaints. You're having a uh, fulfilling Tuesday afternoon. Uh, yeah, it's the you know it's the beginning of the week, so you know one more day until the middle, and then on yeah. we are into the end. Yeah. Um, do you have a what, what kind of practice do you run? Uh, so I do I do private practice uh, telehealth. I also teach for the for the medical boards USMLE Step One, Step Two, Step Three. Those are for the first two years, which is didactic coursework, your uh, classroom study. Uh, you have to take that step one. That's your first kind of um, gatekeeper kind of moment. Then the next two years are clinicals. Um, and you have to take the step two, which are more focused on diagnostics and what you actually do in the hospital. Uh, then when you uh, either before you go to residency or during your residency, before you complete it, you have to do the step three, which is, you know, now you're an actual physician and that's the way it goes. So it's just stepwise exams that you have to pay that you have to pass to get licensed. And have these been uh, pretty consistently rigorous or is there been any change over since you've been uh, teaching these and I mean, since I, I've only been teaching since 2019, so not terribly long. Okay. So I don't know. I have I don't know that I have you know an in depth uh, look at look at these things over time. But they've it's cha it changes a little bit by year. I've seen it become. Uh, we see some some subtle nuances and subtle changes in it. Uh, we've actually seen a little bit more biochemical warfare stuff on the exam. We're seeing a lot more uh, transgender stuff on the exam. So some some more socially uh socially relevant things on the exam but overall it stays it stays pretty much okay. pretty much the basics right yeah i mean there's kind of um in the popular discourse right now there's a little bit of worry about the airlines going uh uh, trying to fulfill some sort of liberal principle of equality in staffing yeah. and uh and how that might be affecting um the rigors of you know who gets to fly the plane and how the plane is built and stuff like that. I'm wondering if that, if you seeing that um, replicated in uh, the medical field. Well, I mean, I think that's, I think that's always been a part of the medical system, at least since I, since I even tried to go to med school and, and things like that, there's always been this like DEI, um, this DEI thing and, and affirmative action and those kinds of things that have been in all businesses. It's no different in the medical field. Um, so that there's always quotas to fill. Uh, they want certain, you know, certain amount of people of this gender, of this creed, of this race, of this color, you know, you probably name it. They probably have a, you yeah. know, a quota for it. And yeah, we a hundred percent, we see it in medicine. Uh, you know, anecdotally um, I've, I've seen it a lot in medicine. You see people, people that are given positions uh, that, you know, they wouldn't have likely gotten based on merit or scores or thing or things like that. We definitely see that. 
And is that mostly in the like um, the administrative apparatus, or is it also replicated in the uh, surgeons and uh, medical doctors and nurses and stuff like that? How impactful I, I is that? I, I, I mean, I think it, I, honestly, I think it goes across the board because even even when I was when I was uh, just applying, you know, for med school, you can get a textbook that tells you every single breakdown of every university, who they took, broken down by age, by by race, by score. I mean, they stratify all the data. You know, we mm -hmm. live in a data driven society, so you can get your hands on these things. And yeah, you see, you see drastic. Um, drastic disproportionate dif disproportionate differences uh across the board for who's getting allowed into schools who you know i think we saw that with harvard recently i think that was an eye-opening thing when i yeah. think her date what Claudine gay uh you know who was who was brought in and had a bunch of plagiarism and and so forth look people that don't realize that this has been happening i mean I, they might be shocked to see what goes on in the medical system it's no different than any other industry yeah. Um, so on balance, then I ran across you in a space, which is a Twitter like call in kind of thing um, that was hosted by Colin Wright, who's a friend of mine. And it was about he's the a biologist, right? he's a yeah, evolutionary biologist, uh, but he's like not just like a theoretical biologist. He's studied. He's spent a lot of time studying him. And he left af academia because of its fraught relationship with reality. Um specifically around the reality of sex and he just disagrees with um, this gender stuff and that was the space that he was hosting it was in reaction to another space um, that I wasn't a part of where another so-called PhD I think which is still questionable uh, they were debating about the gender thing so we're not only here to talk about your experience with gender, but I think it is tied with like, I would like a, an overall view of your position on where medicine is going. Why, if this gender or childhood transition um, trend, if it is a trend, is connected with other um, so-called social justice kind of movements, if, it, if you see it as just kind of the next evolution, maybe of, uh, or somehow tied to yeah. some sort I mean, of I advancement in the field. Well, you know, I think there's there's just so many angles to look at it. I mean, yeah. obviously, just on the nose, um, it's it's idealistic, right? And this is an ideology. This isn't anything that's fundamentally rooted in any biolo biological principle. I mean, you know, it sounds over like an oversimplification, but let's be honest. We all know what a man is. We all know what a woman is. We all know what the difference between male and female. Uh, you know, a lot of the terminology has been twisted. You can look back as early as, you know, the 60s and look at Dr. John Money. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but, uh, you know, if you look at John Money, <clears throat> they started separate, separating out, you know, gender versus sex when before that, these two things were kind of used interchangeably, um, whereas they're saying, OK, so sex is your biological makeup, your your genotypic makeup and gender is your your social construct. And that that works in a society. Right. You know, people can can, you know, People, men can be more effeminate, uh, you know, females can be more masculine based on the cultural, you know, gender roles and so forth and so on. But when when it comes into what they're talking about in transgender medicine, it's it's purely delusional, like that males can become females truly biologically, um, that that men can get pregnant. The fact that we have medical professionals that can't define what a female is or what a male is. I mean, you see that it's become quite a social contagion and it's definitely a fad, right? We learn about this in med school, uh, you know, the tran transgenderism, which, which typically, um, from, from a, 
from a textbook kind of perspective would be um, somebody who's 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 uh, psychological makeup doesn't or isn't congruent with their biological makeup, right? That's yeah. that's what transgenderism is. And and historically, it affected, I think, 0.01% of the population at large. That population was actually majority young girls. I think, you know, five to eight, five to nine years old that like, you know, are mm-hmm. going through a time in their life where maybe they're bigger and a little bit stronger than boys and they want, and they, yeah. they want to play more, uh, masculine roles in on, on the playground and stuff like that. And they, and they, you know, that's where this kind of stemmed from historically. Now we're seeing it across the board. There's been like a, I want to say like a last I read, like a 4,000% uh, increase in a certain age group for people identifying as transgender. Um, <clears throat> I've had a lot of discussions with a lot of detransitioners uh, in over the last couple of years and a lot of the LGBT community that's kind of off the chain, like off the rocker is in terms of what they believe. And they can't even get any of their beliefs straight. Right. They, I yeah. mean, they're all infighting about what they believe as well. Um, I've heard some crazy things about hormone washes in the brain and how transgender uh, can be something that's identified at birth. Harvard actually uh, has a course in their curriculum that discusses this kind of gender I- ideology in infants. Um, mm. It's 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 insane. Right. Um. So uh, in your medical training, did they not or did they teach you about medical fads and the uh you know the outcomes of these different fads or was that kept on the dl because medicine is you know possessed by ideologies theories sure and and you know i they they definitely leave things like that out right you know they they're not going to teach you about the fads of bulimia or anorexia you know in medicine uh but they they train you what it is and how to treat it and obviously you wouldn't okay uh you wouldn't treat any of these things in a similar fashion as transgenderism now um you know i went through medical training a little while ago so i'm not up to speed with exactly what they're training them uh to do now in in so far as what the classroom looks like but just six years ago um the classroom didn't look like that you know transgenderism was you know it's a mental illness in the dsm-5 uh, it should be treated like a mental illness. Uh, you know, we were trained that, you know, n- if an adult wanted to transition, they'd have to go through like 10 years of therapy and then they'd have to socially transition. And then then possibly if they get a psyche eval, they could you maybe go and get a surgery or things like that. And, you know, it, it was so it was such a fringe thing that you don't really you don't really study it in detail in yeah. any way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, so I, I I was actually not even aware that this was that this was any anything of um, of importance, even even within our society, uh, you know, until until just a couple of years ago. And I've been in medicine for for not not outrageously long time, but yeah, but uh, long enough where, you know, I I I mean, they must they kept all this stuff under wraps. And how did you stumble on it? Um, so. There were a lot of uh, activists, activist doctors that I that I worked with, you know, and, you know, they, they were wearing wearing their rainbow pins. And I, I, I never paid too much attention to the movement. Um, I, I wasn't that socially aware, I guess, of what was going on. I was paying attention to medicine and, and my studies and, and so forth and so on. Um, 
but I always thought it was just like more of a more of a social thing where people wanted to use their pronouns. And I thought that was foolish. And in medicine, it's dangerous. Right. If, you know, mm. uh, if a if a woman comes into the ED and claims to be a man and they look like a man and they write that they're a man and you wind up getting an X-ray or a CT or giving them aspirin and they're pregnant. You know, these there, there's so many problems, not diagnostically. I'm looking for completely different diseases in men yeah, and women. Yeah. yeah. Um, so not to not to jump into that, but, you know, you see this kind of activism and it I started getting it, it you know, an understanding of these people are really, really radical and had a really radical view on things. And I actually uh, stumbled across Chloe Cole's story. And that was the very first story of any of anything I ever saw happening in a child. Uh, and I and I was I was just appalled uh, at, at her story. You know, she got, I think, puberty blockers at. I think uh, 12 double mastectomy at 15. Uh, and then I fell down a rabbit hole and I started looking this up and I, you know, I was, I was really just shocked and I brought it, I brought it to my leadership and to, to doctors and colleagues. And their response was, she's an activist. She deserved what she got and she's a hateful bigot. And so are you. Oh, and I was, I mean, and then the, the onslaught after that just never ended. Um, and so what were you trying, what were you, what concerns were you trying to address by bringing this to your leadership? Um, just, I kind of of a a very simple question, but like, what is the core of your, um, reaction to seeing that? I mean, first and foremost, you, this is a child that was allowed to, you know, be put on drugs and, and hormones to, you know, to change her whole entire identity based on a psychological illness. Um, so, so, I mean, just there's so many things to dig into here that are that are problematic. Yeah. Number one, you never treat mental illness with surgery that the last time that that happened was the transorbital lobotomy, quite literally the last time that the medical system ever. And they thought that was a great idea. And we look back and we think how barbaric what was going on in their mind. And, and we're seeing a very similar picture, only worse. So, I mean, that's one of the things the the other the other issue is this. Puberty is a natural process. Who halts somebody's puberty? The same exact thing that you give to, you know, to block puberty or to chemically castrate a child is the same thing that you would give to a sex offender to castrate them. Um, like castrating a child is is so insane to me that I, I didn't even know where to begin with, yeah. with saying how, how fundamentally flawed all of this thinking is. Uh, you know, a child can't choose their bedtime. They can't choose what to eat. They, they don't make... They, they're not allowed to make their decisions because they haven't grown yet. The, the brain isn't neurologically developed well until about 25 years of age. And it, even if a 25-year-old said I wanted to remove my genitals, we would consider that a deep mental illness and we would look at every other approach possible. And even from a medical perspective, I would never encourage you, a, a, even an adult to do that because it's, it's, it's not rooted in reality. A delusion is a fixed false belief that is present for more than 30 days at a time. That is the definition of a delusion. If you believe you're uh, the opposite gender, uh, when you're obviously not the opposite gender, that's a delusion, right? And it's a it's a social fad that's happening in our children because they realize that if, if they're lonely or sad or, or going through tough times, which is what the teenage years really are, um, they realize that they can join a part of a community, have a, a vast network of people that support them, that will fight to the death uh, for them, 
if they stay within the confines and, and do as they're told and so forth. I mean, so it's a, it's a safety net for kids. And like I said, it's it's so dangerous. I mean, it's such a dangerous ideology. <clears throat> Pardon me. Subnote, what's a f- what if I had a fixed false belief for only 27 days, what would that be? Uh, so it's so it's not considered it wouldn't be considered a delusion by by the medical by the medical definition. If it passes, um, like what what it was it was just like a a, a brain uh, flight or something like that? Is there I I'm, I'm just curious sure. about not, that. Okay. I'm actually not sure. Okay, I'm not just, sure. They um, want to derail the conversation, but um, no, it's just, no, you're very, you're perfectly I like fine. the 30 days. Um, like that's the mark. That's the line that's drawn in the sand. Well, so there always has to be some line, right? In, in yeah. these things, like if you're if you go through if you're diagnosed with major depression, it has to be 14 days at least. Okay. So okay. like, and, and we and you know we discuss this in medicine. Oh, what if it's 13 days? Yeah. You know, yeah. like I mean, it's you know these are but they're you know for the book to actually draw a line, there ha- they have to draw a line somewhere. So I suppose that you know. They give it enough time to say, hey, here, this is enough time to where you probably should have thought about this and considered it further, yeah. um, something like that. So but, what, if you could hazard a guess uh, about the reaction that you received when you tried to raise awareness or concerns about this medical practice um, and your leadership, you said that your leadership denounced you quite strongly. Why, yeah. why would they... Why would they have that reaction to a fixed false delusion why would they support a delusion what's going on in their framework that this is something that is really amenable to them to be fixed yeah yeah, no i've I've really thought about this um i i've really heavily thought about this and you know there's a couple things that come to mind that you know there's the obvious monetary incentive um Let's be completely honest within the medical system. If if you have a child that's trans at, at the age of five, they're going to require psychology, psychiatry, close primary care follow-up, um, pharmacology, surgery. Then there needs to be new education put in place, new laws, new litigation, mm. new lawyers, new clinics, new counselors, uh, new nurses, new the amount, the amount of things that this doesn't the, the amount of things that this touches is so broad and so yeah. fast. Um, and plus, you that, get brownie points if your hospital supports this stuff. You, you're seen as oh, yeah. cutting edge. You, you, it's a status boost. Yeah. And, and and so that's so there's a there's a monetary benefit. There's the social credit that you just discussed. You know, um, so so people that want to be on the right side of history and and be on the social justice movement. And what I really see is people uh, perpetuating evil. Uh, to look good. Mm. What, what, that, I guess human beings are flawed, but like, can the... Some people have called this, uh, the, this particular eugenics project around uh, you know, transitioning children, castrating children as the biggest medical scandal of the century. There's also, you know, one might suppose that a certain novel uh, coronavirus that, that spread around and the response to that was another, there's some iffy things over there too. Um, but in, in your experience or from your perspective, how does one change the medical system when it starts to huff some sort of like toxic fumes of its own, you know, devising? Um, I, you know, this is a challenging question. Uh, we've put together a coalition of doctors who are, um, you know, standing against this, uh, uh, many of us speak out very, very loudly against this in the very beginning, people didn't even believe that this was happening, which should, which should kind of pay, 
pay homage to the fact that how bad it really is. People didn't even believe that this was possible. People didn't even believe that this could happen. And it's still, people still do believe it. You bring, you bring up these lawsuits, these cases, these individuals, and people still say, that's not happening. That's not true. And then when they find out it is true, they're like, well, this must've been an extremely rare case. A child cannot strong arm a physician into cutting off their genitals under threat of suicide because that's the that's the whole big thing that happens. Right. Mm. You know, the, these children are being groomed to go to the hospital and say, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill myself. And and that, you know, that makes obviously no sense. If somebody threatens to kill themselves or kill others, which is called, uh, you know, suicidal or homicidal ideation, you you have the right to hold them right mm. at the hospital and and monitor them 24 seven to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, so, I mean, the, the idea is that a child can strong arm a physician into getting all of this treatment uh, is, you know, when did the children become the the leaders and the dictators of what a doctor is going to do with their training? Yeah. Uh, and it, it, that obviously goes against all logic, but I don't know how um I don't necessarily know how we approach this other than speaking out, showing showing it for what it is and speaking quite honestly and and um, and truthfully about it. And the, the truth is that a doctor is convincing a child that they're born in the wrong body, putting that child on the same exact drugs that you would put a sex offender on and then wheeling that child into a fluorescent lit operating theater and cutting off their breasts or testicles mm -hmm. that's actually happening right now and i think people need to realize and think about it that that's what's actually happening here um and once again we've seen this kind of stuff happen in the medical system before we saw the lobotomy we've seen the medical system do things like the stanford prison experiment we've seen uh the tuskegee syphilis experiments uh you know we've seen doctors like joseph mangala We've seen this stuff in history, so uh, we're seeing it happen right now. And you, and you said something that I think I think is worth restating. This is the this is the most scandalous and evil thing that has ever been perpetrated by the medical system, ever. And you you touched on COVID, and I have a lot of thoughts on COVID, and I work with a lot of excellent doctors, uh, you know, uh, surrounding surrounding what happened with COVID. Um, but even if you consider the worst case scenario of COVID, if it, if it was some genocidal uh, lunacy, which I believe it was, um, that was that was killing populations. This is children, and and it's not injecting them; it is mutilating them and carving them up and and removing their ability to procreate. There's something it, there's something on a whole nother level hmm. uh, that I think about this, which is why I've I've focused more of my time into fighting this than than COVID. Particular. Yeah. Um, one sub note, I have a bigger question, but just one question. Um, I just want to press against something you said, because uh, I hear this a lot. I just want clarification on it. Um, the Lupron is used f for not just castrating sex offenders, but also uh, to help, I believe, to help men with prostate cancer, too. I don't know if it's a strong argument to say that one medication has multiple uses, because sure. isn't that, isn't it, I, I, I'm not, I, hopefully I'm not being uh, needlessly contentious. It's just that, that particular no, no, no. thing. Actually, no, that, that 
uh, I get where you're coming from. Actually, a lot of people talk about things like that, right? If you, you can use it for, uh, you know, for those kind of issues, uh, I believe they actually use it in precocious puberty as well. Um, you know, if somebody starts going through puberty at like five or six years old uh, and, you, and you want to slow that process down or something like that, uh, the dosages are different and it's it's in, it's the intent. Okay. Right? It's the intent yeah. and the and the reasoning behind it. Uh, so so for something with precocious puberty, uh, you know, you're tr- you're you're trying to just slow down the process a little bit so that they develop at the at the age of their peers and and there's there's some health side effects and and health benefits and and so forth and so on. For children, you're specifically using it to stop puberty and to change their sex, right? There there's a there there's this pervasive, um, you know, intent behind it that that definitely makes it very very different and uh you know the dosage regimens are different um so forth and so on and and there's you know at the end of the day there's tons of problems with this stuff there there's bone loss there's muscle density loss there's the the iq loss yeah there's the changes in the neural circuitry uh these natural processes um Hmm. You know, when you mess with them, it's, you know, it's, it, it can be a little bit dangerous and there's, there's definitely uh, risks yeah. involved. I guess that, that kind of like, it gives more light to the kind of a deeper question that I wanted to venture into with you on your Twitter bio, it says Christian twice. Yes. Yeah. But you have a picture and then, and then in your bio it says Christian. So you're not unfamiliar with the concept of evil or evil as a term, as a term to, to understand a certain phenomena. Um, we all, uh, what are your thoughts on if puberty is a natural process, why would it, why does it, why is it evil to, to halt that? Or why is it evil to meddle with that? If we can do it properly, let's just imagine a transgender, uh, one diagnostic criteria that is actually accurate. There's this thing called true trans. You can diagnose it. And then there is a very uh, low degree of mistakes when prescribing medication and then altering the body surgically. Um, Would that still be considered evil for you? Would it still be considered wrong for human beings to just um, change nature because they see something wrong with with nature? I think I, I, that's a that's a challenging question, um, you know, and and obviously as a physician, I there are certain things I have to separate out right there. Right. You, you know, I don't I, I, I don't go wandering around and, and waving a Bible in people's faces or there are things like that as a doctor. Uh, you know, you have to there, there are certain things that just are not appropriate uh, yeah. in, in a professional setting, I suppose. And, um, you know, I think at the at the basic level, you know, would I would I say it's evil just to halt puberty? Would I say that that's no, I, I don't think that I would go there just, but I, I would question the reasonings biologically behind why you would want to do that. And what is the purpose behind doing it? Um, and I think there's where we might get into a little bit of weeds. Uh, if you want to halt puberty and the reason is that you don't want to be what you are, then that's a challenging reason to not do it, right? Let's let's say you want to halt puberty, puberty because you're an adolescent male and you don't want to become a man. So you're going to halt puberty with the intent to become a female or stay what you are or never grow up. Like what, what would be the, the meaningful intent behind why you want to do this? And this is where psychology is falling flat on its face without asking any of the deeper uh, questions to actually get at the root behind this. You know, I, I, puberty is a, is a rough time for a lot of kids. 
right? It is, it's a challenging time. Kids are mean, uh, people's yeah. bodies are changing. Hormones are going crazy. Uh, you know, puberty it's, and it seems like this is discussed more and more and our sexualities are discussed on a public platform, which is something that's, that's very odd in this day and age as well. A little mm. bit of depravity in our society has sunk to, to very high levels, but, um, again, that you would have to look at why why somebody's doing this in in the first place. And if the the idea is to eventually alter yourself in such a way that you are still physically, or I mean still biologically what you always were, but you're no longer physically uh, you know what you were. I, it, it doesn't make a lot of it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Well, because I, I asked that because there's a lot of really deep philosophical questions and transgenderism is, I think, one of the first broad scale movements into transhumanism. I, I see it as the gateway to transhumanism with us yeah. merging with our technology more and more and us being able to use our will and our intellect um, reasoning aside to do whatever we want with our bodies. And this is a broad, broad scale experiment on an entire generation. So I'm just wondering if if medical technology is constantly um, it's you know it's progressing in the ability for human beings to do what they would with their bodies with their natural environment. What keeps it on the rails for you? And where's the medical ethical questions um, that that keep us centered on what it's proper to do? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Kind of question. Yeah, um, you know and. And I think I, I didn't realize that that's what you were alluding to, but I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, this is this is a major step into I wouldn't say the first step. We've already crossed over a lot of the first steps of transhumanism. Uh, you know, I, transhumanism has people don't I mean, people kind of look at it like it's some conspiratorial thing. I mean, it's not. This is, you know, this is stuff that, you know, bionics, bionic medicine, tech, all, this stuff has been, you know, integrated into medicine for, for a very long time. I mean, you read it as far back as the 70s about bionic medicine and stuff like that. So so the first steps happened a long time ago, but this is a major step. You're absolutely right. Uh, this is an absolutely major step uh, in that direction. And I, you know, you know, as a person of faith, I think that is one of the most grounding aspects of it. You know, just because we can does not mean we should. Nature is nature. And if you look historically at science, a lot of times, I would, I would, you know, venture to say all times that we synthetically manipulate nature, it blows up in our face, right? We've seen what's happening. We, we've seen what's happened to our food. Uh, we've seen what's happened to cancer rates. We've seen, you know, whenever we meddle and, and create mm. synthetic biology, it almost always blows up in our face because we're, we're not meant to create that kind of stuff. And, you know, the people who don't have any, um, any root in faith, regardless of what that faith is, uh, when, when they don't have that, that compass guiding them, I think it's easy to fall into, you know, transhumanism and, and chipping your brain and, and so forth and so on, because there's nothing, you know, there's nothing saying that you, you shouldn't do that. You know, as you said, medical ethics, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And you do have to focus on ethics. A lot of biological ethics go right out the window uh, when you're not rooted in any any kind of moral framework. Hmm. So how, how do you scale up your moral framework if your medical profession is failing to uh, act ethically? Uh, is, is that not one of the, um, you know, 
points that you need to get across or, or something that you need to reformulate or at least call into account? Like, what is our moral framework? Why are we here? What is this um, industry up to? And um, I guess it's... It, 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 it's always going to be a wrestling between the good and the bad because you're, and it's not just this one issue. It's just you think about pharma, you think about um, medicine's relationship to these huge businesses, you know, and, and, and how the businesses find weak spots and then get a bunch of people hooked on their medicine for, you know, uh, because it, it's, they could. And so I'm wondering, like, um, is there accountability aside, you know, scaring people scaring them straight like what is the moral argument and why are people uh countering your argument with uh it seems like disgust or uh opprobrium because you're you're being a bigot in some way right. well i mean i i think first and foremost uh there there's a lot of changes that need to, to happen in medicine and I, I i personally think that the the medical system as we know it is is uh is crumbling um, I think that it's I think that we're going to see a paradigm shift in medicine. People aren't trusting their doctors after what happened with COVID, after what happened with transgenderism. Uh, what, what's going on right now? People don't trust medicine. And and as you know, as we see it, medicine is a business. Right. As you said, it's under the thumb of big pharma. Um, I think we need to focus a lot more on medical ethics because that's not something that's focused on uh, specifically in in the training of, of young physicians. Um you know, there's there's maybe a six week course where you learn about medical ethics hmm. and it kind of accounts for very little of your grade. But that's a very large part. I think it's the most important uh, aspect of medicine that you're ever going yeah. to study is your your ethics, uh, justice, um, non-maleficence, beneficence, um, autonomy. These are things these are the these are the fundamental pillars of medicine, okay. you know, and, and they, uh, so it. it you could probably say that people spend more time in DEI training than in uh, actual ethics, like uh, foundational ethics, philosophical ethics. I don't, I don't think there's any. I, I don't think there's any DEI training specifically in med school. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think. I don't okay. think there is. You could probably take. You could probably take coursework in it, but I don't think it's part of the curriculum. Uh, but it, it's definitely the fact that that's the culture. Right. And then yeah. when you get into administrative, that's that's absolutely the training. Um, but I think I think it needs to be a, a lot more focused on medical ethics, but a lot more focused on not having pharma's you know, hands in the pockets of the med school, uh, because at the end of the day, pharma's ruining the medical system as we know it as well. Uh, people don't and especially a lot of allopathic physicians don't want to admit to these kinds of things. But, you know, let's take something as, as simple as um you know, psych meds, right? Psych meds have an out, outrageous amount of, uh, you know, adverse side effects, uh, increased suicidality, black box warnings, uh, reduced libido, uh, infertility. There, there's so many things that come along with these things, not to mention the monoamine hypothesis has been debunked thoroughly. You know, you can't, you, nobody measures any of your serotonin levels or dopamine levels when you get diagnosed with depression. Uh, you know, they just put you on a pill and they can switch you over to a different one if these side effects don't match or this one. And I have personal experience and and uh, a lot of clinical experience with this well as well. And huh. you know that you know putting everybody on a psych drug instead of focusing on therapy, focusing on what are the issues, why do you feel this way, why are you depressed? You know, focusing on their dietary issues. Are you getting all your vitamins, all of your minerals? Uh, are you getting a good diet? How is your GI health? Uh, are you getting proper sleep? Do you have good sleep hygiene? You know, are you stressed out? What are your cortisol levels? What's your thyroid doing? 
These are things that are much more appropriate to investigate for depression, anxiety, things like that. For anxiety, they want to give you know benzodiazepines and and things of that nature, which is just alcohol in a pill works on the same receptor, hmm. the GABA receptor, uh, has the same intoxication, same withdrawal profile as alcohol. Uh, so really, all you're doing is feeding somebody booze. What's the end result of a panic attack? Resolution. It'll resolve. And if somebody can fight through it, there's plenty of ways to help somebody fight through it. You could do pressure on the eyes, which uh, which. Huh which will activate the vagus nerve, cold water shock on the face, which will activate the vagus nerve, calm the calm the uh, the heart down, reduce the heart rate, reduce the anxiety. You could do box breathing, uh, which is what the Navy SEALs do to to uh, calm anxiety uh, in, in the field. You know, there's so many methodologies to combat these things, but pharma, pharma. And, you know, yeah. I know those those are psych, uh, but we can go to something as simple as statins as well. Um, aldosterone, what controls your blood pressure, your sodium, your potassium? Well, you need cholesterol for that pathway. Uh, cortisol, your stress hormone, the, the hormone that helps you wake up, the hormone that mitigates your stress, your, your sugar levels, your, your blood pressure as well. That needs cholesterol. Your sex hormones, testosterone, estrogen, DHT, all this cholesterol. Why would you take a medication that, that reduces your cholesterol, that stops you from reducing cholesterol when you could have diet, exercise, cure your hypercholesterolemia, mm. cure your triglycerides, cure your hypertension. It, it's it's almost like everything mm. is just such a quick fix that, you know, and these yeah. are these are the most common drugs, you know, known to man. Um, okay. It's, we need a, we need a whole, we need to look at the medical system in a whole different way. In, in a way, what you're making me think of, and this is just me shooting it, uh, just popping off here, um, but, you know, there's anxiety. Well, we have a pill for it. Um, there's cholesterol, but it does all these other things, but we have a pill for it. Um, there's puberty. We have a pill for that too. And it, what's similar in all these things where we're going to try to intervene with your discomfort. We're, and yeah. and here's, here's, here's what we have to offer. So it could be the case that a part of the gender industrial complex on the medical level is just because it's just the way that medicine has work sure. it's just how it works and the reg all these regulations and all these clinics and stuff and the money it all flows in the direction that th there's these basic assumptions that somehow the you know do no harm has been interpreted as we are going to de decrease anything that's uh discomfort i guess anything that's distress right and we're going to see distress as harm and so we are going to intervene on behalf of you yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better. That's, that's perfect. Um, yeah, because that, I mean, that's the way it is. It's, it's symptomatic treatment. It's not yeah. treatment of the illness. Um, <clears throat> almost like we're, uh, it's, it's just weakening people instead of facing any, facing anything that's going on in life. We've got a pill for it. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's hard to work. It's hard to work out. It's hard to go run every day. It's hard to eat a healthy diet. It's expensive to eat a healthy diet as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, these are all challenging things. Uh, so we've got a pill for you. Yeah. So mm -hmm. on one level, you're, uh, what you're working against is uh, laziness, entropy, basically. Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, that's where ethics or that's where virtues probably come in. Um, that, that... Well, I'd, say, I'd say working against apathy, right? Yeah. I don't think, you know, people, I, I don't necessarily think that because people aren't naturally lazy. I mean, that's not, a, that's not really a thing. You, we, we can get lazy. All of us have lazy, lazy moments. But I, th I think it's more apathy. Uh, we've become... You know, we've become uh, a, a a fat 
apathetic society. And I don't mean fat as an obesity. We are an obese uh, society, but I mean, yeah. kind of in the kind of in the philosophical sense where we're this like fat, apathetic, you know, um, society that just doesn't care about anything. And, 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 hmm. you know, relative to the rest of the world, we do live, uh, in, in such a rich nation. We have everything at our fingertips. Uh, so, I mean, it's not shocking that, you know, an empire like ours has come to this, has come to this concluding scene, hmm. uh, you know, Anybody that is a student of history can trace this back to Rome and before it or Persia or any of the other empires. And when you Babylon. see this kind of when you see what's going on in our society, the moral decay, the social decline, the depravity, um, e even even like uh, the sexual promiscuity, uh, the drug abuse, all of these things, mm -hmm. you know, coincide with with when societies collapse. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the illness that is being perpetuated by the medical system is a, itself a symptom of a sick society and the yeah. gender yeah. industrial conflicts. There, it, there's, it, it, that's how, how I think it's, it's kind of tied to something deeper. So you mentioned that you have a coalition of uh, doctors um, that are speaking out. What have, what is that? And have you seen or you and your colleagues, have you seen some kind of change in the attitude towards this? Do you think that things are about to change or? It's, it's difficult to say, uh, you know, I've, I've been speaking out the, uh, out against this for quite some time. Um, you know, I was heavily censored. I was banned off every social media platform. I was oh. isolated away from everything. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's been really intense. I, you know, thousands of death threats, uh, activists showing up at my work, at my doorstep, uh, you know, phone calls, emails. What did you say? And to who? Uh, the, what I'm saying right now, uh, nothing, nothing to the tune in. And uh, it, it, people are very, very tribal when it comes to what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, people are people are yeah. really uh, lost in, in what's happening. And as you said, it is not healthy to be well-adjusted to a sick society. And that's what we're seeing. All of these people are extremely well-adjusted to a sick society. This looks right. All of this looks right. Okay. It looks correct. It looks like we're going in the right direction. And, you know, anybody with eyes to see and ears to hear can, can see the writing on the wall that this is the absolute wrong direction. We are falling down a cliff. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been outrageously censored, and I'm one of the doctors that stood up against COVID mandates, uh, which was uh, you know so I caught it with both barrels, right? COVID happened, mm. uh, and you know I started looking into the research about about COVID and the plasmid expression systems, the zoonotic infections, the viral enhancement studies, uh, the directed evolution. Uh, so I I blew the whistle on COVID early too, and all of my same colleagues were you know you you're wearing a tinfoil hat and you're crazy and you're this and you're that. Which is rather interesting because I have a I have a significant research background. Um, I worked in biochemistry labs. I did thermodynamics, lipidomics, protein biochemistry. I did brain mapping at USC. I have a very significant research background in a lot of the things that that surround COVID. Um, so you know, I, I I brought up papers. I brought up research. I brought up the DoD patents. People didn't want to listen. Listen. And um, so hmm. I, I caught everything from both barrels. So I think I was one of the more censored physicians uh, in the country for for about a year and a half. Uh, they really didn't want me saying anything. Uh, it was to the point where you know I went on and, and created a new account on uh, on Instagram, and my account was suspended the second I hit uh, create. Yeah, yeah. 
You should. Um, you, there should be a plaque, an extra plaque for being um, so heavily censored behind you on the wall. There, most censored doctor, right? Um, well, it's it's been really it's it's just been really challenging to get the word out. So to answer your question, I don't know. I it, things the tides are are shifting. They are completely turning. Uh, but the gears of these things work slow, and I've learned that over the last couple of years. That yeah these things do slowly work. It's almost like the gears of government. You cannot expect them to, you know, we all know what the solution would be. Just say, no, we're not doing this. Every single person in the United States, I'm not getting a shot. I'm not wearing a mask uh, and we don't support gender affirming care for kids. So no, um, this would be over tomorrow if, yeah. if we could get everybody on that page. But we all know that that's not that's yeah. not how it happens. Yeah. Uh, so I do think the tides are shifting. I do think people more people are listening. We're still in that information stage, right? We're disseminating the information, getting all of that out there uh, is the most important thing. And then, you know, corrective action can only be taken when you have enough people that are knowledgeable and willing to take yeah. corrective action. So as more people are waking up, more Congress uh, people are waking up to um, the shots. You know, if you've been following uh, Mary Tally Bowden, she's a colleague of mine and I've reached out to her and we've uh, mm -hmm. we've had some chats. Um, uh, I, you know, several of my other colleagues, I, I had the opportunity to sit on a panel with uh, uh, an interview with uh, uh, Macus some time back and, and so forth and so on. So people are waking up in all the different spheres. They're getting Congress people to listen. Their research is getting uh, listened to. I think McCullough's uh, research that he just published was trending uh, the other day. Um, so, so a lot of people are working on a lot of different fronts and things are getting to light, but I think it's going to be a slow, it's going to be a slow uh, progression because we're also fighting on so many different fronts. Yeah, uh, yeah. but they all send, tend to be s surrounded about about medicine as well, which mm -hmm. is not shocking because the medical, military, industrial complex is. Yeah. You know, yeah. their fingers and everything. It's um, I I know that they have a lot of power, and I think it's probably the ad budget because YouTube doesn't like me even touching uh the the stuff you said about the blood and how certain things might have um, been designed in certain ways to do certain things that they. <laughs> are yeah. advertised to I can only imagine do the opposite. If you have to, if you have to edit out, you know, yeah, go for it. I'll put, I'll put, I'll just, I'll mute you and say sciency words uh, that YouTube doesn't want to uh, be heard, which is just odd. Why we, why information is being controlled about that particular intervention? What no, did you? Not, right? <laughs> pardon me, what? But it's not odd, right? It's no, you know, it's it's par for the course. Yeah. What did you learn about yourself? Like speaking about like, mental health and stuff, being um, treated that way, being uh, censored and uh, maligned. What did you learn about yourself, or was that shocking to you? And did you uh, was it a growth experience for I, you? It, it has absolutely been a really a really uh, difficult time at times, uh, but you know. I, I do believe that we are we are placed. I don't believe anything is by chance. I believe that we are put in positions, uh, you know, to grow and to learn uh, and that, you know, the good Lord only ever put me in any position so I could become better and stronger. So, um, you know, I tried to focus on that um, as much as I possibly could. It does it does get to you because. You know, when when everybody's following you and everybody's screaming at you and and if you if you fight back or say anything back god forbid man they will use your words against you use your actions against you no matter no matter what happens they will come and try to tear you down every little aspect of your life um you know so it's it's been challenging 
Um, and it's been a growing experience, uh, but it's been, it's, you know, you come out the other end stronger, uh, you know, no matter what, if it doesn't kill you, it only makes you stronger. Those words, all of these old sayings that mm. we kind of throw around colloquially, yeah. uh, you know, as if we're, you know, philosophical, these old basic sayings are, are the most critical and the most fundamental and they've been around forever, not because we think they're you know, quirky or fun, but because they exist and they're real, you know, if it doesn't kill you, it, it makes you stronger. You know, the truth will always prevail. Um, hmm. you know, the, these very simple things, uh, you know, that I, that I try to live my life by, um, yeah. you know, have, have really helped me through and without that, it's another thing. It's just deep in my faith. Uh, you know, I, I can I can say with 100 percent certainty, there's no way I would have gotten through these last uh, several years if it wasn't for if it wasn't for Jesus and if it wasn't for God. Uh, because when when you're seeing the writing on the wall years ago, when nobody's saying anything mm -hmm. right. And there were so few of us. I mean, there was a handful, I think, across the entire United States. There was a handful and none of us knew each other. So we were very isolated. We're seeing all this happening. We're trying to speak out every single person's against you it you know it makes you question your sanity yeah. uh you know not anymore but back you know three years ago stuff like that it was uh it was it was definitely interesting i, I will yeah. say that yeah it, it kind of goes back to what you're saying about like that fixed um false belief that lasts for 30 days like you have to kind of have faith like no i think i'm righter than everybody around me but everybody's really believing this thing that it, it's not true though so you have to Figure that out yeah. and then reach out, finally find people um, that can see things the way you, you well, do. Thankfully, and thankfully, there were enough things that were just outright ridiculous, right? Like wearing the masks, the masking mandates. That was, I mean, for, I mean, perhaps not for somebody who's not in the scientific field, but for somebody who's been in research labs and, and surgery ORs and things like that, you know, when they're like mask up and you're like, especially in pediatrics, you know, you look at the masking and peds and you say, Hey, uh, they're not going to be able to breathe and their oxygen sats are probably going to go down a little bit. And the mucociliary escalator system isn't going to work as well. You're circumventing their own natural immune system. Uh, you're creating a Petri dish on a little dirty kid's face that they're going to take off and get dirty and put back on. You're trapping bacteria on the inside of the mask. Pneumonia is going to go up. Viral infections are going to go up. Uh, these kids that are that are not able to hear when they're developing, they got muffled speech from everybody. They can't hear well. Their their hearing development is going to decrease. They're not neurocognitively, uh, you know, there yet. So they they're they're learning emotions and they're learning what they see and they're learning reactions. Well, if you mask somebody's face, they're not going to see any of that. So which is why we saw so much decline. You isolate them from other people, you're going to see. Uh, you know, depression, anxiety, all, all of these things are going to start to start to get changed because you're altering the natural progression of of their of their just uh, their social programming or their, their just their hmm. their natural social progression. So there were so many things that were just ludicrous about what they were doing that made me, you know, not feel so crazy about standing yeah. up against, yeah. against the other things as well, you yeah. know, because, you know, in the beginning saying, Oh, this is a bioweapon. People are like, listen, you are really off a cliff. Like, no, I don't think so. Hmm. Um, there was this uh, article that came out in the esteemed Atlantic Monthly that said, you know, everybody, we all, everybody made mistakes. We should let bygones be bygones, but it was the people 
uh, you know, the people who are pro mask mandates, pro uh, vaccine mandates, um, uh, pro. Uh, and then if you look at how that has impacted an entire generation, like this is a major amount of harm, um, yeah. socially, developmentally, educationally, um, and then physically, too, with what all you're saying about the masks. And they were the ones who want bygones to be mistakes were made, were the ones who were virulently or like viciously attacking anybody who was standing yeah. against them. Vicious. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think it's, we saw a very dark side of humanity. I mean, yeah. we, we really saw, I mean, you know, not wanting people to be able to get groceries unless they show a vaccine card, not want, wanting people's businesses to be just buried, um, wanting people not to be able to feed their family, you know, yeah. the, the, the mainstream media going, going around and around lying about basic medical facts that any doctor could be like, that's not true. Um, and then, and then saying like, you know, screw your freedom and you guys are killing people. Everything about it was just the vitriol and hate was just so, so profound. Um, and, and yeah, it, it echoes Germany. I mean, it really, really just echoes, you know, we, I think everybody grew up wondering that, that age old question, like, what if you had lived in this time? Would you have stood up? I yeah. think we, you, we saw that we saw who would stand up and we saw who would be on the other side of social contagion and, and allow their tribalism to take over their heart and soul. Hmm. Uh, we saw a very dark side of human nature and, um, and no, there, there, it isn't bygones be bygones. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there needs to be some vicious retribution or that they're just need, we just need to wipe out the, you know, every single person who wasn't, you know, awake. Yeah. No, not at all. But, but the people who are in charge of per perpetrating these things, yeah, they need to be, they need to be brought uh, and held accountable. Uh, the people who were vicious and vitriolic, yes, they need to be, they need to be brought to justice. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, you know, these people, these people, these are the sick individuals in our society. These are the people that don't belong in our society because let alone controlling it, <laughs> let alone controlling it. So, um, you know, I, I get a lot of flack because, you know, I am a proponent of, you know, quote unquote, Nuremberg 2.0. Uh, you know, hold every yes. When there's a mass genocide, when you when you are against your neighbor at this fundamental of a level, uh, yeah, you need to be held accountable. Uh, okay. Every single person needs to be held accountable for this. Yeah. Do you think that that is going to pan out, or do you think that it'll just kind of wash, go, get away in the wash? I think it'll fizzle. Uh, you know, I th I think there will. You look, it's you know, and and I'm I'm speaking from a just from a historical perspective, right? Uh, you know, there will be, I, I really do believe that there will be some very public um, people that go down. There will be some, some very people in high places, enough people to, you know, to satiate the masses, right? The people in the Coliseum need to see enough blood, right? And, and uh, that's what we're going to see, I think, is, is enough to satiate the masses. But I do think I, I truly do think that this is a this is a defining and an altering uh, moment in the trajectory of the United States of America and the globe. We've never seen anything like this happen before. There hasn't been enough interconnectivity, mm. uh, the Internet, you know, you know, understanding and, and being able to see what's going on in all parts of the globe. We've never seen something perpetrated across the entire earth. Um, so I, I and people are awake more than ever. Right. Mm -hmm. They they realize that they've been living in slavery, that there's so many open air prisons uh, here and that uh, hmm. people are really waking up. So I think that it's just the, the cards were overplayed 
so significantly at this point that I think we're going to see. I, I don't know what the changes will all be, but I but I have a very distinct feeling that we are in for, I mean, outrageous societal changes. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you look at what the WHO is trying to do, the World Health Organization, and I know that they they kind of are retracting some of the gender stuff. They're about to try to export like uh, our, our wonderful gender ideology uh, across the world. But you also see them starting to meddle with local and state laws and who can, uh, how they can like shut down uh, agency, the agency of, of individual peoples uh, over, or at least override them in case of an emergency. It's very, it's very fascist. It's, it's just medical fascism yeah. at this point. It's uh, they get to decide what the exception is, but we know that they were wrong on so many different places and we had to play along. Um, but we'll see what happens. Well, so hopefully, hopefully we'll just set up a, you know, a completely parallel medical system. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people, a lot of people want more natural remedies. A lot of people want to be explained why their health is the way that, that it is, how their body's working, what they need to do to get better. I think a lot of people are ready to take more charge of okay. their health and they're yeah. willing to be more in charge of it with their doctor. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so I, I actually think that, you know, in, in terms of that, I think, uh, okay. I think that that's going very, very well. Um, but I, I think that, that that's a really important point because the system is catering to the society. If the society, if the individual takes back agency from the, you know, from the pill producers say, yeah. no, okay, well that's the easy path, but that's not the good path. I'm going to be responsible for myself. And then there's, that's, that's the sea change. It's, it's more individual responsibility. And then, and then I believe that the medical system will either, uh, adapt to that or an alternative medical system will, uh, rise up to support that. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the question will be is how, you know, how deep does the rat go? I guess, in the medical establishment. I mean, I personally, like I said, I personally think that we are going to see the crumble of allopathic medicine. You know, very, very pharma-driven medicine. I think we're going to see a complete fundamental collapse of that because I don't think people want it, want it anymore. I don't think that's what they're buying anymore, right? They they, they are done. They don't want to be, um, hmm. they don't want their healthcare run by this. And, and doctors, you know, don't get me wrong. Doctors, doctors have made paramount failures in the last several years. So we're going to see what comes out of that because apparently mm. not a lot of people studied in med school because if they had, we wouldn't be going through any of these issues. Huh. Um, so, I mean, you're seeing it, it is an interesting time within this field of science and medicine that you are seeing the cream of the crop just rise abruptly and quickly to the top. Hmm. Um, and those will be the doctors that are that are building a new system and uh, and an entire new program of medicine. So that that sounds like you're making an optimistic uh, argument here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we have to be optimistic, right? The end of the world could be tomorrow, but at the same time, I think we have to plan for the future and 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 do our best to. There's so many vaccine injured people out there. There's so many people that are hooked on big pharma. There's so many. Half of our country has mental illness, anxiety, depression, PTSD. Now, after this, the whole society basically has PTSD. Mm -hmm. um, so, mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, and especially those of us that have trained for this our whole lives. This is this is our, you know, this is this is our Olympics. I guess mm -hmm. you know, this is our this is our time to do everything that we possibly can do and just and and keep fighting the fight. I mean, uh, you know, I don't see any other way. 
right? You you wake up every morning and you and you move forward onwards, says mm. the soul, I guess. Hmm. So um, y- people can follow you and, and see your work. You are active again on social media. That's how I found you. Um, what are some other organizations that if people, uh, let's just say if a professional um, is listening to this and wants to pitch in, what were some place that they can go or just like normal citizens, like what, what could they be supporting to, um, to help fix either the gender issue or this other thing that we're talking about with regard to um, medical fascism. <laughs> sure. Um, first and foremost, uh, speak out. First and foremost, be be loud and speak out. Um, you know, you everybody everybody is allowed in this country to exercise their right to free speech. Uh, you know, everybody's I think a little bit scared of speaking out against transgenderism or or mandates or this or that. The vast majority of people are on your side. Speak out. If you know of any doctors that are standing against this, support them heavily. Um, hmm. You know, if you if you can speak to your representatives, you know, I think we've fallen out of this in our society. We we expect somebody else to just take care of it and somebody else has got it. You know, it's their job. Apparently not. Right. Yeah. Obviously not. Yeah. Um, so so speak to your representatives. I actually have a meeting with uh, a congresswoman uh, on Monday uh, to speak about covid and gender affirming care and so forth and so on. So reach out, you know, become part of your society. Go to your school board meetings speak to your city council. Uh, again, one of the biggest things is, you know, if you see somebody speaking out, uh, go and support them because I know a lot of them don't have enough support. Dr. Mm-hmm. Mary Talley Bowden, Dr. William Mackis, uh, myself, you know, we, we have been fighting this from the very beginning, from the early days. Um, you know, I, none of us have ever really asked for any money. Um, you know, that, that doesn't, so, so I'm not, I don't have anything to tell anybody about donations or, mm. or anything of that nature. That's just, uh, I, I, I don't know that money is going to fix anything. Obviously, if we, if we come mm. together and we start building more clinics or we start, um, you know, creating, creating things that require money, we can talk about that and at some, at some other date and time. But mm. for right now, you know, uh, I would just say support, 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 uh, vocally is, is one of the biggest things that, that anybody can do because that's, what's gotten me through. Uh, you know, I've gained, uh, you know, thousands of po- uh, followers in the past three years and, and that, that support has actually meant more than anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So people can find you through the links below. Do you have, um, what's been, a a book, uh, that's really helped you through or like a thinker or like even a chapter in your holy book that's really helped you in the last few years that that has been a a fount of of strength and wisdom for you i mean the whole thing the whole thing's uh been really amazing i I love every single piece of the bible um and i've been reading it for my whole life so at some points in my life more than others um Hmm. but you know i i love i love the 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 story of jesus right you know matthew mark luke and john they're all a little bit different um but i think job job is probably one of my favorites um uh that that has really helped me through this time in particular uh Mm. specifically um but then just trying to understand what's what's going on in the world uh and what we see and and i mean it's the whole book from genesis to revelations uh you know every single story in it uh you know, kind of just rings true to what to what you see, and and it covers basically all the life lessons that you'll ever need to know. Um, so it's it's definitely been uh, a significant uh, 
a source of strength uh, in in these last couple of years. Hmm. Well, Doctor, thank you very much for your time. Um, and thanks for what you're doing with speaking out. I really enjoyed listening to you to the, uh, listening to you the other night, and it's been great to listen to you today. Hey, thanks. Thanks so much. It's my pleasure. Uh, please stay in touch. Absolutely. Can I, off the record, ask you um, how to pronounce your last name? You, oh, uh, where, where is this? Uh, is this Ukrainian? I, I'm sorry, Polish. Polish. Wow. Can you can you do it again? Zhiz. Sorry. Zhivjets. Wow, that doesn't look at all like Zhivjets. Wow.